Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach Trip Lanier. Are you playing small without even knowing it? Are you missing opportunities because you're afraid to rock the boat? And could it be possible that what you really want is much closer than you can imagine? Progressive rock badass John Wesley is back to discuss how he reinvented himself by claiming his power and taking his seat next to the big names in the business. That's the cobra. Oh, you you practiced uh, martial arts with the uh, with the bad guys in Karate Kid, right? The cobra. That was well. Those guys were next door. Yeah, they were next door. Okay, the, the cobra kunte or whatever the hell they were, cobra guys. <laughs> they were dicks. Those guys were total dicks. They yeah. were not nice people, and I'm a nice people. Yeah, fuck those guys. Fuck, fuck those guys. We were the nice Dojang next door. Yeah, like, hey, how's it going? We wonder if we could rake your yard and whoop anybody's ass. Yeah, while we're there, you know. We'll whoop some, whoop some yard ass. <laughs> whoop some yard ass. <laughs> are you recording now or are you... Uh... I can. We, can. we can start anytime. Yeah, we can start there if you want. I mean, that's kind of... Yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set a little context, too, because okay, cool. I really want to come back yeah. to that, uh, the whole conversation we had around right. taking your seat. So... Um, yeah, let me just do an intro and then then we'll we'll get going. Anything oh, goes. So, got it. Welcome to the new man. Today we're talking with John Wesley, aka Wes Dearth. He's a guitarist. He's a singer songwriter. He's best known as the touring guitar player for Porcupine Tree, and he's got a new album out called Disconnect. Good to have you back on the show, man. Thanks for talking. Thanks for having me. Well, you know we're gonna we're gonna, I, you and I we talk a lot and we can talk about a long time about lots of things, but. We got listeners today, so many many guys are, t- are, are. I want to set a little context here. So many guys are playing small in their lives when they, they actually aren't small. And uh, we do this. We tell stories about ourselves. We see ourselves a certain way, and we can. It's either because we're really self critical, or we're trying to be humble, or we're trying to play it safe. But uh, or we're we th- Catholic. Or we're Catholic. <laughs> we think we need to accomplish something, you know, before we deserve to be at a certain level or see ourselves at that level, but. The reality is that we deserve our seat at that table, but we're not 
we're not claiming it. We're not taking our seats. So again, this is just another way of us staying safe, even if we're not happy doing it. The danger is we put others on a pedestal and we create stories about them, why they're able to do something and we're not. You know, that that guy has done this or that, or that guy has this or that, and and therefore I don't I don't deserve to be there. So in actuality, we're much more powerful and important than we give ourselves credit for. And the outside world is saying, come on, step up, man. We want to we wanna hear what you got. We want, we want you to bring what you got. So there's a big disconnect between how we see ourselves and how the world perceives us. So this can cost us opportunities. And uh, if we're making ourselves smaller, the world's going to just start to believe that that's true. Yeah, this guy's small. Nobody's going to beat down the door to give us an opportunity. So it's up to us to create those opportunities. So the bottom line so much of what we really want is much closer than we can imagine. We just got to be able to ask. We need to be able to, to will, we got to be willing to, to be a little uncomfortable, to be vulnerable and to take a risk. So you and I have shared quite a few evenings and quite a few Jameson and Gingers. <laughs> <laughs> and I got, I got to witness you make some powerful shifts in your own thinking and actions over the last uh, year or so. And I was hoping you'd be willing to talk, you know, talk about that and take us through your own journey making this, uh, the new record disconnect. You up for that? I am way up for that. Okay. So paint the picture. Let's start out where you were. Uh, how were you seeing yourself professionally before you really committed to this record? What was the story you were telling about yourself? Well, you know, the funny that the story I was telling about myself, you know, that I saw myself probably wasn't even true. Um, wasn't even close to true. Um, I mean, I had done and a lot of things and played a lot of amazing gigs with some unbelievably talented people. And yet, because, you know, that had stopped, we were in a downtime, um, things had shifted. I wasn't really paying attention to my own career at all. I'd kind of lost sight of where I had been. I mean, I'm one of these guys that I never think about where I've been. I only think about where I'm going. Uh The problem with that is, is if you don't at least take a look back and see what you've done and what you're capable of, you might not choose the right path where you're going. So it's kind of like if I'm not up to something and I don't have a big plan, then I'm nothing or is that? Exactly. Yeah. Plus you'll make incorrect choices about how to guide that path. If you don't look back and say, Oh, I have done this. I am capable of doing that. I've put in a lot of work here. I can do that. So I should really chart a path in that direction instead of that direction that says I'm not qualified and I haven't done this. And, you know, this is the easy, you know, kind of scared guy direction, not acknowledging what you're actually capable of. All right. Well, let's get let's get a little more brass tacks because you you've done a ton of touring and you played on all kinds of other, you know, just a ton of stuff. And you have this huge, long list of things that you've accomplished. But yeah. you went through a tough period. I mean, you called me one day and I yeah. think your your son was born how early? My son was born two months early and my mom was at that moment dying in the hospital and would pass away three days later. That was a hell of a week. It was a big week. Yeah. yeah. And was that around this time that you just just un, unhooked from your career and that that's that is that what you're talking about where you just weren't yeah, thinking I, about what I've done? Absolutely. I had just finished an amazing run playing with Steve Wilson's solo act. Um, it had gone so well that, you know, the manager of the band, certain members of the band had said, well, you know, we found our new lineup. I was excited. I loved the shows, um, but I had spent the last 11 years playing with Steve as his only guitar player, you know, the, basically the only guy he'd really toured with for 11 years. 
and he had come to a place where he said, you know, 11 years is enough. Thank you for helping me out on this tour. It was amazing. We did play well together, but I've got to find another direction. So it wasn't anything personal against me. It wasn't anything personal against my playing, but all those years of Porcupine Tree and then that amazing, amazing run with some of the most amazing musicians I had ever played with in the world had just ended weeks before I found myself in the hospital with my wife and baby in one ward and my mom in the hospice down the road. Wow. So, wow. And I get it right down. Yeah. And so I'm just getting this picture of like, okay, well, if I'm not playing with Steve, that's a big part of my life. It has been a big part of my life for the last Perfect. 11 years. This is my gig. Yeah. And he's going in this direction. That means he's not cranking up porcupine tree. You're at the main gig for a while. So it's like, oh shit, what am I doing? Where am I? Yeah. And you know, you've, you found again, it's that whole thing. If I'm not going somewhere, I must be nowhere. Mm. So that was nowhere wow. in my mind anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was it, I don't, I mean, did you even have enough time to think about that with what was going on with a baby on the way and, and what was happening with your mom? No, no, that, that thought process, once things begin to settle down, I just disconnected from music in general, you know, just wasn't really writing. Wasn't, I, I mean, always gigged and always kept up my, my practicing chops, but, uh, the future was, there just was none. It was zero. That was it. That okay. Was, and uh, you've got a child to feed. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, yeah. what was what was going through your head? I mean, it, you know, here's mom dying and here's here's the baby. I mean, what were some of the things you were thinking about at that time? Utter confusion. You know, it was just, you know, it's like, I have no idea how the future is going to work out. I uh, hope my wife can get a job. <laughs> 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 that was it. That wow. was as far as it went. That's pretty that's a pretty powerless place to be. That's a mm-hmm. I played guitar real good and I can say thank you, drive through. <laughs> that's you. what I'm qualified to do. Oh man. All right. So <laughs> so that was the bomb. That bomb went off. And how long was it until music started to to reemerge and be something you thought about again? Uh over the next year, very little. All I did was enough to stay alive around here. Um, I was writing songs because I'm kind of always writing, but I wasn't really focusing. So I was only writing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a whole album that had been recorded and trashed at least once. Um, was about to be trashed again. Um, I wasn't happy with any of it. Um, so for that whole year, the whole next year, I just kind of floated and just, you know, kind of worked on at the same time. And I, I hate to say this in a way that, you know, some family member might take this the wrong way, but we'd moved into a house and we were about to get screwed out of the house. Uh, we got screwed out of a studio location. Literally all of this happened at the same time. Wow. So in the same six to eight month period, I disconnected from everything. Wow. It's so, you know, Screwed out of a house, the whole nine yards. Wow. Okay. So you you know, and you've got to be looking around, going, "Geez, what what the hell's going on? What the hell?" So I got through. You know, the studio we got we moved it um, at the end of that year. Uh, this was in January that all that had taken place. By the end of that year, in December, we'd managed to get screwed out of the other house, but we got into our old house, and it was a little tiny, easy to take care of place that at least comfort was established. So right after the first of the year, the wife and I started talking and she's got, you know, she's like, look, man, you've got these songs. You've got to do something with them. So I started, I got out in the backyard studio again and, and started working through those songs and churning through them. 
Yeah, you were really in the uncertainty before because now, before at least, it was like I've got a gig, I've got a you yeah, know, I've got something. But now I'm you're really stepping into that uncertainty, stepping into nothing. But I had met in the last year a friend of mine. I I didn't know him, but I'd met him a year before. Who's one of these people that is just a force, uh, a force of positivity, but he backs it up with hard work and. He's not a musician, but he is a uh, he, he, he is a musician, but not a professional musician. But he had, you know, worked really hard in his whole career in the grocery industry and had made a name for himself, had retired at 50, you know, um, was sitting on a nice nest egg. Um, he had heard some of my songs. And so my friend who had just unbelievable faith and positive life force said to me, along with my wife and a few other people, you know, and about the same time, you and I were hitting some pretty heavy Jameson and Coke sessions. <laughs> that was ginger ale, not Coke. Ginger I want to, yeah, okay. Don't want to confuse Coke there. And um, a lot of people were trying to talk me into taking a seat I didn't believe I belonged in. And what do you mean by that? Let's, let's, let's explore that. Well, they were saying it's time for you to explore your solo career. Time for you to take these songs, come to life, front of band, and make this happen. Stop hiding behind Stephen Wilson and, yeah. and these and, other people. And these other people. Yeah. Um, it's time to step out front. And what was it like to, were you resisting that or were you, wait, what were you, were you waiting for permission or did you always know that? What was it? The, 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 I always had it in the back of my mind. You know, a lot of us go through life, uh, you know, saying we're going to do this, we're going to be this. So in the back of my mind, I'd always envisioned that. Yeah. It's a big disconnect between getting to that vision and and doing the work and putting yourself and taking the risk involved in making that happen. And so you start, you know, more and more people around you are like, come on, where, where's your stuff? When are you going to bring your thing yeah. out? Yeah, exactly. And then my buddy Chip laid it on the line and said, look, man, you need a little bit of investment cash to get you going here. If you bring the goods, I'll bring the goods. And basically, anytime I'd ever been in that situation in my whole life, especially in the music business, I would try to bring the goods, and then the other party would never bring the goods. But here it was, someone I really trusted, him and my wife forming this little team saying, we're going to bring the goods. We're going to bring whatever it is you think you need materially, but it won't do you any good until you reach inside of yourself and say, I'm bringing the goods. So you got to take a risk here. It's not just, there's no, nobody's going to come in and rescue you. No one's going to, you've got to get out there. And so, so at that point I made the decision and with a lot of talking to you of taking that seat. And I had never uh, seen that concept, but when it was explained to me as that, and you know, let's, let's face it, you helped me get to that place. I took the seat. And, and so Let's talk about what it looked like for you to take the seat because there's this perception of you from the outside mm -hmm. of you being a guitarist, you being an artist at a certain level, but you know, you going through all the things that you'd gone through and, and everything, you didn't see yourself at that at that mm -hmm. place. So yeah. when we talk about taking the seat, it was it wasn't like you know, I, I could remember those conversations like, mm -hmm. well, this is in the way, or that's not here, and that's not here. And I was like, no, dude, we're all sitting around waiting like you got a seat here at the table. Take it. You know, it's not even like you have to take it away from anybody else. It's yours. It's yours. It's just sitting there for you to get in it and do it. And so luckily I had Chip over there and my wife over there both going, you can do this. And then I started to have other people, you know, uh, 
I made a phone call to Steve Wilson and said, man, you know, I, I could completely just roll the dice on my own thing. Unequivocally, he said, well, you should have done that years ago, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so he was waiting on you. like, Oh, yeah. He's been waiting on me for a long time. You know, he makes my last record. He knew I had the goods in 2005. It, it could explain why he's used me for 11 years. Yeah. You know, as his right-hand man. No shit. You know, so it was like, take the seat. Yeah. Take the seat. Take what's already yours. We're already seeing you in this way, and you had a hard time kind of perceiving and, yourself on that level. And one, you know, one big moment of clarity was in a conversation with you when you just outlined the amount of work I had done to get to that seat. Because I meet a lot of people that assume the seat, and I had just worked with some individuals that had not put in some of the work they needed to assume the seat they were trying to create for themselves. They were bullshitting. There was a lot of bullshitting going on. Yeah. And, you know, you can get to a level to where it's kind of nefarious to whether you are or are not ready to take that seat or had done or not had done that work and kind of bullshit a lot of people. And I didn't want to be one of those guys. You know, that is like abhorrent to me. So for me to do, I was using that as an excuse to not step in. Right. I don't want to be one of these jackasses that yeah. doesn't have it. Yeah. And so I'm going to not take my seat when in actuality it was, you were there at that level and it I was just yours been. to take it. Okay. I had been for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So. Ooh, man. I remember that conversation. That was a good one. <laughs> that was a good one. That was the breakthrough. It was a big breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk, you, you, but then you were stretched a little bit more because you had some opportunities uh, you know, we talked a little bit about putting people on a pedestal or seeing them at different levels or so. And so let's talk about the situation, bringing in Alex Lifeson to play on your record. And for those of you that, that, that are listening, Alex Lifeson is the, the guitarist in Rush. He's my guitar hero. Um, Wes is a huge fan as well. So this, what's that like to reach out and, and say, hey, be on my record? Well, he had a couple of years before we'd been hanging out at, after the show in Tampa and and there was a group of us standing around. It was my one of my writing partners, Dean Tidy. It was my wife, uh, Alex, me. And we were just talking. And Alex says, you know, man, if you're ever doing anything, you know, maybe we should do something together. And all three of us looked at him and was like, whoa, what? And he's <laughs> like, you know, yeah, if you ever do a record, you know, I wouldn't mind having a play. Or maybe someday you and I can, if we have some time. And, and I just, you know, I was like, okay. Yeah, but that was years before. That was like three or four years before this. And what are you thinking? Like, oh, he's just saying shit. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, because he, this business is full of that. But but if you but then there was that side of me that knew Alex, the person, not Alex, the Rush guitarist, but I knew Alex, the person. And the side of me that knew Alex, the person knew that he would never say that if it wasn't backed up 115%. But it was another conversation with you. You and I were going back and forth and you're going, well, why don't you mention something? <laughs> I can't. I can't go to him. Even though he's offered. He has offered. He's <laughs> my friend. We're on it's not like I'm cold calling him. We're actually friends. And he would actually do it just on a, a friendship basis. But I couldn't, you know. And, and what was the fear? That he would say no or he'd be like, hell no, or what was in your mind, I can't do it there because was, there was a level thing there. Of course, he is a, you know, on a success level that most of us in the world cannot imagine. But at the same time, he's my friend and he's, so there is, there is that disconnect again of like putting people on a pedestal. I had put him so far on a pedestal. How dare I even consider, uh, have him playing on my record. Wow. 
And it sounds one. weird to come out of the, out of, but that's the stuff that uh, that we tell ourselves. And these are the things we tell ourselves, even right. though he had already told me. <laughs> so he'd already told you. He had actually laid out the red carpet yeah. and like, come yeah. on, let's do it. And there was that resistance there. Yeah. So uh, so what'd you end up doing? Luckily, uh, before their tour ended, uh, about a month or so after you and I talked, um, I'd made contact with Neil, and Neil said, "Come on out, let's go for one last ride before all this this uh, this nonsense ends." And uh, and Neil being just for the guys listening, Neil is the Neil Peart is the drummer for Rush. Okay, he and talks. he rides motorcycles, and we've been able to ride quite a bit through the years. So um, I flew out to their next. I want to say it was their next to the last gig, and. Um, I ran into Alex backstage and uh, I still hadn't done it. I still hadn't got it in myself to say, Hey, Al, I got a record. Let's do, do this, you know? But <laughs> and it's he, not like you're standing in the front row with a, with a poster, like, I Hey, know, play, please, please play on my record. record you know? <laughs> you're, the, you're, you're backstage friends, hanging out. Yeah. As friends. Right. And he says, what are you up to? I said, well, I'm making a new record. And I still couldn't get it out. I couldn't do it. Oh. But he, said, oh, great. Can I have a play? Or you got any room? <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes, I do. Yes, I have all the room in the world. Yes. <laughs> so I still didn't really cross that. Threshold. You didn't really. Well, you're going to have another opportunity for, for but, something. Else. Yeah. But graciously, he was like, yeah, that'd be fun. He goes, I finished this tomorrow. I'm going to go home and chill out for a couple of weeks. And I said, great, that'll give me time to get to prep the track. I'll send you the track if you like it. Great. If you don't, don't worry about it. And he goes, oh, I, you know, I'm pretty sure I'll like it. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know, and I did exactly that. And I sent it to him and he emailed me that day and said, I really like this. I've already got it loaded in. I'm listening. I'm going to listen for a while. And then uh, in the next uh, week or two, I'm going to nail something. That's awesome. And nail it. He did. He did. Um, I just had, there's a big rush blog, some guy that proclaims himself an Alex life's an expert who just <laughs> posted a very long diatribe about how this could possibly be one of the best, if not the best recorded Alex life and solo ever. So did he deliver just a little? Yeah, he totally did. I remember when, uh, when you told me that it came in and I asked you and you said, I'm going to save it for you. And then you, you couldn't, you had to blurt it out it for you. you I had, had to do it. It was so, just so where the rubber meets the road, you know, if you had a time machine, what, you know, at the version of you at that point, what would you want to go back and talk to the previous version of you and say, say to yourself, like, what advice would you have given yourself seeing how easy that actually was? I would have said, just ask him. <laughs> <laughs> just do it. Yes. Say, hey, I got a solo for you. He would, you know, but I, I couldn't, you know, mm. and, uh, you know, I think that version of me, the version of me that's developed over the last year since you and I kind of started having these chats and all this has taken place, would like to go back to the version of me that was wrestling on the high school wrestling team at Brandon in 1978. And all the things I accomplished through those things and all those years of playing guitar, and like on that wrestling team, I was on a world not a world champion, but a championship wrestling team that eventually became the longest running undefeated wrestling team in collegiate or high school history. Ran high school and I was on that team and I did okay. But knowing what I know now, I could have done beyond okay. 
at that early stage of life, had I learned about taking the seat as a 16 year old or a 15 year old. Wow. And would have taken that seat at 14 in the Boy Scouts when I didn't finish Eagle Scout by one merit badge because I just couldn't get myself over that last hump. So I have a sash with 23 merit badges on it that I keep as a reminder of that yeah. because I was almost Eagle Scout. I was almost on the, on the, we have this thing. If you win a certain championship in Brandon, you get on the wall and I was almost on the wall at Brandon and I was almost signed to a major record deal in the eighties and in the nineties, you know what I mean? So there was a lot of almost that if I just stepped up and taken that seat all those years ago, now these aren't regrets I'm talking about. These yeah. are, these are lessons. Yeah. Now at this period of my life, when I have worked so hard to get here, there's not going to be any more almosts. I am here. I have taken that seat. I've made the album of a lifetime. I've just put together the best band of musicians that have ever played my music. Um, and I'm prepping myself to perform at a level that I have never performed at, not even in Porcupine Tree, because I've had three years after Porcupine Tree to practice and get better and take myself to a new level. And I'm not going to ever be almost again. Wow. Whatever that means. It means a lot. I mean, I don't want you to diminish that at all. I'm getting, I've got like, you know, hair standing up on my arms because it's, it is so powerful to live our lives and to just create, I'm the guy that does it almost, Yeah. you know, I'm the almost guy and, and to have you shifted at this, at this stage and to feel it. Like I felt it in you. I felt it when you like, yeah, the record's done. I was like, what are you talking about? It's done. You just like started on it and you just knocked it out and killed it. I went into a mode after that decision to take the seat. And that's the way I had to tell myself or more than I got up, like you have taken the seat. You will not relinquish it. You know, I slammed that album out in two and a half months. You know, Awesome. Well, I want, you know, if, you, if any of you are in, in, even remotely interested in rock and roll, especially great progressive rock and roll, please check out uh, Wes's album. It's John Wesley, and the album is called Disconnect. Uh, where do we pick it up? How, what's, the, what's the easiest uh, way to get it? It's on iTunes. It's on Amazon. Uh, there is a, a, uh, I have websites, uh, you know, www.john-wesley.com or John Wesley Official at Facebook. Uh, Century Media is the record company, so cmdistro.com sells it in their shop. But Amazon, iTunes, uh, Easiest, even, yeah. even some of the local record stores, the indies will have it. Okay. And I, I want to admit that I was, you know, as, as, as good as friends in the report that we had, I was, I was nervous about asking you to do this interview. I didn't know if you would want to do it, and, be, and you've been way more open than I anticipated. But I just remember thinking, like, God, this would be so helpful to the listener but I don't know if Wes would do it. I don't know if I don't want to. I don't want to put him in a bad spot. I remember playing that shit in my head, and I was like, "Fuck, that's the whole point of the interview. Like, yeah. ask him." Yeah. So, it's 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 you know it's that same thing. You know, you gotta you gotta be honest with yourself. If you can't be honest with yourself, you know, and that's kind of what part of this is. This is just looking back, going, "Yeah, you know, I I did a lot of amazing things," and then you know most people would be happy with that. But if I pick apart those amazing themes things i could see where i could have even been and taken them to even higher levels mm. and that's what i'm gonna do now i'm not gonna settle i'm not gonna settle anymore 
If these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.